0: My passion is about empowering people to be able to speak up, Mm. to stand out, and to share your story.
1: What's up, y'all? You're tuning in to the Here to Uplift podcast. If you've been here before, welcome back. And thank you for being a part of our Uplift community. If you're new here, woohoo! Thanks for joining us, and we hope you continue listening and engaging with our community, where we center the stories of inspiring and impactful entrepreneurs and community leaders. I'm Lolo Fisher, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into it. Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Here to Uplift podcast. I am super excited to be joining friend and colleague today, Jessica Chang-Irish. We actually met a while back now. Yeah. Um, Gosh, was it almost a year ago? Almost
0: a year ago. Almost a year ago. Early 2023. uh, At the Be
1: Her conference, one of the Be Her speaking events for women's empowerment. So I'm super excited. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, and then we'll get into some deep conversation.
0: Thank you, I'm so excited that we get to do this. And welcome to my home too. I am Jessica Cheng Irish, like you said, and I am a TV news reporter turned public speaking coach. So I am a speaking coach and I help ambitious professionals, whether you're a solopreneur, you're a corporate executive or a nonprofit Mm -hmm. leader to build your confidence and build your credibility and skills in speaking to grow your influence grow your impact whether you're speaking in public or on camera yes and i my passion is about empowering people to be able to speak up Mm. to stand out and to share your stories i mean whether as a reporter or as a speaking coach i'm a Mm storyteller at heart and someone who loves helping people craft their messages in a way that makes more impact and more of that influence Mm -hmm. so that you can have we have this like ripple down trickle down effect Mm -hmm. across all these audiences so that you can really make your mark in this world yes
1: i love that i think when i started this podcast also almost a year ago, probably a little further than when we met, it was a season of me just wanting to pass on the information that I was receiving. So when I was getting these mentorship conversations and learning wisdom from folks who had already been entrepreneurs, had already been in the business, I was like, everybody should know these things. Yes. So let's yeah. do it. But then when I got on camera, I was so nervous. I was so nervous to actually start talking. So I wanted the conversations to happen, but there's something about holding a mic, having the the camera lens on you that it all of a sudden shifts and you don't have that same comfort level. But over it's time, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But I, I have to ask, since this is your thing, like, do you have any tips for me in terms of running the podcast that I can start doing better.
0: (laughs) You seem, you seem very natural and comfortable now, but I'm sure it's like over time, (gasps) right? It's still in my head sometimes though.
1: In my head, I'm still like, oh, okay. Remember just to relax. I have to like constantly tell myself.
0: Yeah. And that's what it takes too. And so much of our transformation, whether it is speaking on camera Mm -hmm. or leadership or entrepreneurship, whatever it is, is our mindset. Right. And it's reminding ourselves like it's, it's okay to mess up. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be human. Yeah. And yes, relax, take deep breaths and all of those physical mm-hmm. and mental exercises to relax yourself. And yeah. I mean, let me tell you, I had to make a lot of mistakes before getting comfortable on camera. Okay. <laughs> I was a news reporter for 10 years and yeah. started off in small town, Odessa, Texas. Friday Night Lights, if any of you know <laughs> that book or that movie or that show, that's where that's based, you know, a small yeah. high school football town where that's, like, what they have Gosh. going on. Yeah. And I made a lot of mistakes there because you're meant to make mistakes in the smaller markets. And, the dude, the train wrecks I would have. <laughs> like, really? There were time, yeah. There were times where I – here, I'll tell you a quick story where Please. I had to be – there was breaking news okay. at Midland Memorial Hospital – There was a guy with a gun standing on the top floor of the parking structure of the hospital Mm. threatening to shoot himself or hurt others. I don't remember what the scenario was. but So we were sent out there, get to the scene, I do my job, try to interview the cops or witnesses. And we were going to break into programming to let people know like, okay, hey, this is a potentially dangerous situation Mm -hmm. and you should stay away from the area. And this is in the middle of the day, so we're breaking into soap operas, whatever is on NBC at noon. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to report on what was going on. So the photographer I was working with had me stand on top of the live truck so oh. that we could get a better vantage point of the parking structure and where the action was going on. Right. And so the other two reporters from the ABC station and the CBS station were flanking me.
1: They had. They did the
0: same thing. The reporter for the CBS station started first, and so what did I do? What do we do when we are not so sure of ourselves? We compare. So I'm trying oh. to like eavesdrop and like listen to what she has to say. And so when it's time for me to go on air, you know, I can hear it in my IFB. That's the earpiece we have. That's what it's called. And the producer's like, "Okay, you're on." Or I hear the anchor toss to me, and I'm like, I freeze like what was i gonna say oh no! what was i gonna say and then finally like i start but i don't even know what was coming out of it i was just so nervous and caught (laughs) up in my head and it was just like word vomit like and i don't know if i was coherent or if i said what i wanted to say something came out and you're supposed to go back to the station review your tapes Mm -hmm. back then it was you know tapes and (laughs) way back then so you can critique yourself and learn and grow and like it was just so painful Oh gosh, it was like too painful to even watch past the first few seconds (laughs) i feel like
1: you have to have a certain level of confidence to even take on these opportunities and jobs though was this something that you knew you wanted to do for a long time or did it happenstance
0: yeah i did actually even as a kid i remember in school in third grade i think for like a mu- our music class we got to do like a radio show and mm. i had so much fun like pretending to be a dj and my another thing was my mom always had the news on mm. and so i think that just kind of fed into my subconscious like oh yeah like what, what they're doing <laughs> and my mom commented on these reporters and things. So I think I knew that this was like a noble Mm -hmm. profession. It was very important. They were making an impact on my family. Right. And I liked performing. I liked, you know how when you're in elementary school and you got to read the paragraphs out loud, you go around. Like, I loved doing... (laughs) Popcorn reading. Popcorn reading. (laughs) I loved reading the longer paragraphs. Like, I don't know. I was just... was a ham, I guess. And... (laughs) emceed like poetry festivals and things and just love kind of like announcing that's awesome Being like the announcer and so growing up i was like okay this could be a good profession Mm -hmm. for me and then high school we didn't have many like journalism classes or opportunities but then i got to go to usc university of southern california which has the best journalism program Absolutely. in the West <laughs> and that I mean there I just took off and learned the ropes and yeah. just how to get out there and put together my resume tape VHS tapes <laughs> and just blast them around the country to get my first job was it. a very competitive industry and I knew I would have a lot of other female reporters especially like Asian female reporters mm-hmm. that I was up against and i knew that news directors would be popping in my tape and then like after three mm-hmm. seconds they pop it out
1: yeah. you have to catch
0: their attention right off the yeah. bat and if you don't stand out in a positive way then you don't get a chance so yeah. it was super competitive it took me probably six months before getting my first reporting job oh, wow. and okay. that was that was hard for me as someone who was so fired up and ambitious mm-hmm. and. Just want to get started an achiever. Sure. And that's how I've been all my life. Still am. <laughs> Go for something I really, really want. Right. And then I, I normally like get it. And sometimes mm-hmm. I've had to learn. It takes time and yeah. you get a lot of rejection sometimes. And But again, I've had to learn even to this day. Reminding yeah. myself that this is for a reason right and like something better is to come absolutely i mean i had to strong remind myself believer of that <laughs> This, like just last month yeah. as an entrepreneur so. mm.
1: we're going to talk about rejection soon too i think cause yeah. that's a huge topic but you brought something up that i feel like uh, it's been a while since i've had this conversation but thinking about competition amidst women of color you were saying you know you got to catch somebody's eye quickly because there's not a lot of asian women and
0: I think it's more so the slot to fill. The slot to fill. Right? right. There were a lot of Asian women. Like, we even have our own Asian-American Not, not so many opportunities. But it's not many opportunities. Yeah. It's like, if there's already an Asian female reporter, yeah. then it's like, I have less of a chance. So that's my question. That do you
1: truly feel like, do you feel like that's the same today that it's almost like, I have less of a chance to fill it because they already have that typecast? Mm. Because I know in the dance world, that was definitely like a challenge for me is like, oh, they got their one black girl. And I like, know. if that's not the kind of company that's going to have, you know, true diversity, then you can already count yourself out. And it was so mm-hmm. frustrating. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I was really lucky in my first station, like shout out to News West 9 in Midland, Odessa, Texas, <laughs> that they were embraced diversity. Good. There there weren't many Asian people in the market. And that's the mm-hmm. goal, I think. Yeah. Whatever TV market the people on the air should reflect the demographics. Yes, absolutely. So that people watching can see someone like them mm-hmm. and then inspire them to strive for that kind of a job or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Strive for your go for your dreams. Right. And at our station, there were two of us on-air reporters okay. that were Asian. Me as an Asian female, and he was an Asian American male who I was friends with, mm-hmm. and asked him to join me at the stage. Told him to apply, and that was more than representative of the market. And we would joke, he and I would joke, we'd be at the super Walmart in town. And <laughs> we'd, we'd see another like, Asian family in the next aisle. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, there's another. You're like, we'd, that's our family. <laughs> or we'd go to the Chinese restaurant, you know, things like that. But I, I've always embraced, I've always been OK with being, being one of the only, one of the only okay. ones. Growing up I went to a Catholic school, so I was the only I think Chinese person there mm-hmm. except for my sister once she got old enough. Okay. And then and then getting into college, mm-hmm. USC, super diverse, yeah. but also I noticed we had all these pockets, pockets. that oh, we stayed yes <laughs> and we stayed within them. Absolutely. So I was in an Asian American sorority yep. and so we pretty much just hung out with like other Asian American (laughs) sororities and fraternities. Right. Which then I kind of grew out of. And then I was like, okay, I kind of like hang out with my journalism buddies Mm -hmm. and that's like everybody.
1: Right. I resonate with that so much. Even in in my experience at University of Arizona, for me, it was uh, exhilarating, honestly, seeing other black folks that I could connect with because I grew up predominantly white areas. um, So although I had... culture of friends that I would say multiple mixed friends I'll say that Mm -hmm. (laughs) like one of my best friends was mixed Filipino and white Mm -hmm. and then I had another friend who was Nigerian somebody else who was Ethiopian but we were kind of like our own pocket amidst Mm -hmm. the predominantly white school. Yeah. And then when I went to college, it was almost the same thing. I found the pockets, just like you're saying, joined a historically black sorority. And then I remember going home and my dad saying something to the nature when I'm telling him about all these great groups I'm part of is, well, why are you joining all these black things? And I got so upset and frustrated. And I think at the time, the way I, I reasoned it in my mind was, okay, he he, as a white man, was like, are you forgetting about our side or something? Like, do you, do you not want to see me? And I got frustrated because I'm like, he doesn't see me as a black woman. He doesn't get it. Um, and while there probably was just a lot of misunderstanding there and conversations we could have had. Now, when I think back to it, it's so interesting how we really silo ourselves in pockets. So at that time, I needed it. I needed to be around other black folks and really to, you know, be immersed in my own culture um in that yeah. way it really helped my identity development but i'm also thinking about yeah you know i had different groups so it was either my white group my black group my nerd group <laughs> like just depending on what our interest was but yeah. there very few of those groups were actually mixed <laughs>
0: yeah it's so interesting when you think back right yeah. and that evolution of ourselves yes. and our awareness Of the diversity of the races or diversity in many other ways around us, of our friendships and our family members. And I think we probably, I can speak for myself, immersed ourselves in those pockets, those groups of friends that were just Asian-American or for Mm -hmm. you, just African-American to explore that part of ourselves, to tap into it more so, Mm -hmm. so that we could discover more about our how resonant that was within us yes yeah because like I had I grew up in a Chinese school too Mm. so I had a lot of other Chinese Americans (laughs) around us my mom was our Chinese school principal so we were very involved and that was a really strong core group of friends too then going to college still being around Asian Americans but a much different scene cuz mm-hmm. our families weren't involved yeah. and then like i said growing out of that and like okay i want to be around a mix of yeah. people and then moving from southern california this mecca of diversity mm-hmm. and the melting pot to <laughs> texas, texas. <laughs> to a smaller city in texas there yep. were a lot of hispanics a lot of quite a lot of black people too um but yeah like i said not a lot of asian people mm-hmm. so that was different but i was okay being again yeah. the only and or one of the few and moving now where i live to turlock california yeah. there there aren't a lot of asian people here either but that's okay i think i think what we have to keep in mind is when to to walk into situations not putting our outward, our exterior appearance as one of our main traits. Mm. But it's like, what do I have to offer to this group of people or mm-hmm. to this room, to this workplace, to this social right. or professional group that is valuable to them? Right. That is within me. Yeah. So I, I, I haven't, I try not to judge people based on how they look and right. I hope that other people think the same definitely and and now you can relate raising a son who's mixed oh yeah (laughs) it's important for me to give him expose him to Mm -hmm. his different sides his different ethnicities and cultures and so I'm trying to teach him some Mandarin here and there and Chinese New Year rolls around I I try to present in his school just like my mom did Mm -hmm. for me in my school so culture is important to me and preserving that Mm -hmm. however it doesn't have to be the forefront and it doesn't have to be isolating Mm.
1: how do you you feel like your son uh, responds to the diversity of cultures that he's experiencing and then like going into his schools and what does that feel like for him do you know
0: I feel like as a kid. They're more colorblind, which I think is so pure. For me, too, I feel like that's how I was Mm. growing up. I think he appreciates learning another language. He does have a, in his class, he does have a Chinese girl. Mm -hmm. And every time she sees us, she greets us with ni hao, like, which is hello and Mm -hmm. how are you in Mandarin. And so I think that's great that he has that every day in his little preschool. Mm -hmm. But then he's also... Hanging out with a whole bunch of other kids, Mm -hmm. Hispanic, Portuguese, white, all of the above. So I think the more exposure he has, the better. Mm -hmm. And that means he's just going to grow up with less prejudice because he knows someone. If he sees something on TV or sees something Mm -hmm. on the news about a certain ethnicity, Mm -hmm he won't be like, oh, well, they're the other. Mm -hmm. They're other. Right. The othering is the challenge. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's actually why I struggle with the word colorblind because it's, Mm. it's for me, it's like, I want you to see everybody. And I want you to see that breadth and diversity of culture. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is coming from my like student affairs background too, because we've Mm -hmm. had to challenge this word so much, but seeing it with our kids, um, like my son, Angel, who's 12, the one I was telling you about, Mm -hmm. he's, uh just in middle school now and one puberty and adolescence is a whole thing oh my gosh gosh.
0: Um, can't wait for that (laughs) it's,
1: it's not my favorite but he's my favorite you know so thinking about his experience of belonging in all these different places and now you know having lived in Merced having lived in the Bay Area when I'm speaking to him I hear a lot of expression of things i felt that i didn't know how to express when i was his age mm-hmm. and it is that feeling of othering so it's it's almost challenging that okay you've been in all these diverse places but sometimes as you get older when you don't see other folks like you when you don't have that connection or bond you feel othered even if nobody's actually othering you mm-hmm. right so that that's where i'm challenged it's not to say i found an answer right <laughs> that's mm-hmm. where i'm challenged right now in parenthood and thinking about Yeah, like we want to expose our kids to as many cultures as possible and have those conversations at home about recognition. And I love that there's so much innocence, right, around just people are people, humans are humans. Until they get older and then it's, I don't know if it's about nowadays like social media and just like what they're hearing what these things are but it seems like kids are having a harder and harder time interacting these days in general but especially with folks of different cultures
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I I don't know how I'm going to approach those conversations (laughs) when the time comes (laughs) but I hope somehow I will be inspired oh (laughs) I'm sure you'll you'll be like teaching lessons on it (laughs) I don't know in parenthood there's so many things after it happens you're like oh my gosh how could I have done that better? <laughs> right? Why did I? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think what's interesting now that since we're talking about the topic of race mm-hmm. and ethnicity, I think part of the reason why it's been important for me to speak out, mm-hmm. speak up to stand out is because this, of the stereotype. Mm. I want to dispel the stereotypes of Asian females being diminutive, mm. submissive. Yeah. And also the general stereotype of Asians just being engineers yeah, or accountants. Yeah. The model minority. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah, just kind of flying under the radar, you know. Which there's nothing wrong with those professions. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not for me. I mean, dude, <laughs> doing math. I was okay at math as a kid, but like I definitely break that stereotype. I even have a shirt that says, I suck at math. <laughs> Duh, that's funny. And
1: I need that for basketball because everybody assumes I can play basketball. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that not
0: Yeah. And I love the those just funny ways to dispel those stereotypes. And so I've, I guess, even as a kid, subconsciously, I've wanted to dispel those Mm -hmm. stereotypes and show that I'm not that typical Asian girl. And I, maybe that's partly why I chose my profession too. Mm -hmm. Where I could be on the air and quite public and use my voice, amplify Mm -hmm. my voice to make a difference and to stand out. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think being able to see, Someone on the air, and for me, it was Connie Chung. Mm. Like someone who looks like me Absolutely. on the air, like this is possible, right? Even yes. my nickname in high school on my cheerleading bag was Connie. And like people would call me Connie, and I'd turn around, and I'd, I'd answer to it, and that was my nickname. <laughs> because they knew (laughs) what I wanted to do with my profession.
1: I love that. I think even that desire to kind of push back, dispel the myths, dispel the stereotypes, and do something different to make an impact, that shows me right away that you have an entrepreneurial mindset. Because it's hard in our school systems, just the way they operate. To push back that's not really how it's designed for you to win or achieve in school settings mm-hmm. but if you can master that and push something back I'm like that's the entrepreneur mm-hmm. right there
0: okay I didn't think of it that way <laughs> thank you
1: but okay so I'm <laughs> curious a little bit one of the topics I want to dive into with today, uh, really just based on things I've been hearing from other podcasts you've done and the speaking engagement we did almost a year ago, is as we think about moving into 2024 with confidence, I know you've talked a lot about confidence on camera and confidence in communication. Like, what does it look like to speak into your vision? Just like you're telling us you kind of had this vision for yourself, you wanted to make an impact, maybe even facing rejection along the way. Mm. How can we speak ourselves into our vision to really keep going
0: into the dreams and goals we have for ourselves? I think it comes down to being open to vulnerability. Mm. Okay. And that's something I'm still working on. I have not mastered that Mm -hmm. myself. Being an entrepreneur, that is, it still feels new to me, even though I started my business as a side gig in 2015, I am still, like, stepping into that confidence Mm -hmm. and that resilience as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And... Having that mindset, being an entrepreneur, and I hear over and over again now in the podcasts, it's like ninety percent your mindset, that strength. I agree, (laughs) and maybe ten percent tactical of actually (laughs) implementing strategies and running a business. Mm -hmm. So speaking into your vision of going after your dreams, I feel like is one on one hand being visible and being. Mm -hmm. And talking about, Mm -hmm. whether it's on camera, on podcasts, or even just for yourself, journaling, recording yourself in that moment of where I am now and what I strive to be. Mm. And in those tough moments for me, I have certain journal prompts that I've learned from mentors that i listen Mm -hmm. to on on podcasts there's a really great community called powerhouse women love it yes (laughs) Yes. with the coach Lindsay schwartz and she has a great podcast and she during those tough moments she says to journal about like what are the emotions and thoughts i'm feeling right now Mm -hmm. where am i so those insecurities right those feelings of not being enough that comes up for me and then the second question, what are the actions, beliefs, thoughts of the person who I strive to mm, be? Right. Someone who's a doer, someone who takes action mm-hmm. when it's n- not perfect, someone mm-hmm. who is resilient and someone who is okay with making mistakes and yeah. quote unquote failing. Mm-hmm. And then the third question is, what steps can I take today? Or what can I remind myself today when I feel myself slipping back into my bad habits? (laughs) Yes. So I feel like writing it out, journaling it out. I'm working on the journaling. I'm not an everyday journal. I'm going to be honest with you. I know you're supposed to to be doing that every day (laughs) and reflecting, but I'm working on it. (laughs) And especially in those moments of, of... insecurities Mm -hmm. for me it's i find it really helpful and i think sharing it too Mm -hmm. sharing it in this way publicly and even in like instagram stories is a great place to do it too where it's up for 24 hours and then it goes away but just to talk it out and be like here's what i'm feeling right now and it makes you more relatable to your audience Mm -hmm. because we've all been there or we all are there right now right and what you're learning through the process, because we're not, we're not, we're lifelong learners, right? Yes. Where we have not figured out everything right. just yet. And we're right. constantly doing this in our growth, right? Mm-hmm. We're growing, we're, we're expanding, learning our lessons and we can share that. But then there's other times where we're in the lows mm-hmm. and we can share that too to help. Maybe you might get people saying, I've been there. Yeah. You're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And then that can help get you out of that mm-hmm. rut too. So I think to go back to your question, to speak into that vision is to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Even those times where you might feel weak. Yeah. Because th- sharing that is going to strengthen other people. Mm-hmm. And in turn, um, mm-hmm. I think when you are at a high.
1: Right. 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 Does that answer? It does. It does. And, you know, it's aligning with so many of the things I've been listening to and reading lately, too, because our stories are powerful. And I'm thinking of, gosh, there was a theory when I was working in student affairs, and I'm probably not going to be able to name it right now. But it had to do with, um, you know, narrating your own story, writing your own personal narrative. And that's kind of what I'm hearing, too. And you saying like the example from Powerhouse Women and the reflection strategies is it's not just about identifying who you are, but it's who are you becoming Mm -hmm. and Putting yourself into that place, and I know, are you familiar with the Hermosies? Um, so, like Alex and Layla Hermosy, two two very big business entrepreneurs, started with um, owning gyms, and now they have multiple companies. Oh, but okay. uh, I listened to their podcast pretty religiously too, and they were talking recently about it being an identity shift, like when you have a new vision or when you have a goal you don't necessarily just set a goal as what you were saying, tactic or strategy. Like maybe I wanna hit this number. Sure, you can hit that metric for your business, but who hits that metric? Like who do you need to be in order for those goals yes. to happen? And that really challenged my thinking. And I, I feel like I've been transforming the way I set goals now because of that statement. I'm so glad you're like affirming it now <laughs> in that way because I just didn't hear it that way before. Mm. But who do we need to become in order to make this bigger vision of ourselves and our businesses happen, it's transforming the way I set goals.
0: Exactly, exactly. And when I work with clients too, mm-hmm. I love working with clients one-on-one and mm-hmm. there, I have a program, an eight-week program to help people with their speaking confidence. Okay. But the very first session, no matter who I'm working with, mm-hmm. it sets the foundation and it is about establishing and re- defining and refining your why. Okay. And then also talking about what your brand superpowers are. Right. So it's like, what is it that you're proud of? What are the qualities you're proud of? Okay. That you're empathetic, that you're a hard worker, that you are a good listener, whatever it might be. And then also to think about what are those traits that you want other people to perceive you as? Yes. So that is another Perception way to frame. often reality. <laughs> right. That's another way to frame. The person that you want to become, okay. right? Yeah. If that, if you want to be perceived as a leader, okay, step into step those into qualities. It. Yes. Step into being a leader. Step into being transparent. Right. To being bold, whatever those qualities mm-hmm. you want to be, and then when you're in those moments where you're like hiding. You find yourself hiding. You find yourself not speaking up during a meeting Mm -hmm. when you want to ask a question or share an idea. Right. Think back to what those brand superpowers are and how you want to be perceived. Well, if I'm doing this, am I being that bold person? Am I being that transparent person that I am striving for? Right. No. Okay. Then that is going to give you that confidence to speak up to stand out. Absolutely. I'm curious, as you say this about
1: transformation, if you can tell us a story either from your own experience or a client you've worked with of this transformation of maybe having that struggle with confidence and being vulnerable, which I think sometimes are put as polar opposites, but really they work together and moving into
0: that place of like confidence and brand superpowers. Yeah, I have... Had a client earlier this year who is the COO of a pretty renowned nonprofit in our okay. community. And she came to me saying, I'm just, I'm not a public speaker. <laughs> like I, I freeze. I freeze up when even I'm a, thinking about saying something. I feel sick. Oh. Like I just know, like even as a kid, like I, just have told myself, like, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm rising the ranks of the organization now. There was a CEO, the CEO position open. And maybe oh, wow. I could have stepped into that, but it's so public-facing. Too nervous, yeah. Yeah. And so I I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a challenge, but let's do this, right? And so we did that exercise. Okay. We did that exercise talking about her why and her brand superpowers. Mm-hmm. And her why was, and I th- recommend this if you want to establish your why too, starting with the phrase, in everything I do, I believe. Mm-hmm. And this is from Simon okay. Sinek, by the way. OK, in He's everything a, I do, I believe. Yeah, so you kind of start off that way. You're prompt to establish your why and so hers was in everything I do I believe in leading with transparency with empathy and with what was the last one transparency empathy and approachability because you know if you're Mm -hmm. leading a team so it was some along those lines and those were her three brand superpowers too so I asked her when you're about to present to the board Mm -hmm. and you hand it off to the CEO because you can't, you feel too afraid Mm -hmm. of messing up, of speaking to this board of directors. Are you stepping into, are you being transparent? Are you being empathetic? Mm -hmm. Are you being a good leader by doing this? Mm -hmm. No. So that helped with the mindset shift. right? So that having that and revisiting that every time she had that feeling yeah. of like, okay, I'm gonna I'm not gonna talk in the meeting. I'm just gonna tell my CEO mm-hmm. what to say. that helped give her the courage. and then we worked on more of the tactical mm-hmm. talking about like transitions like going from okay the board president is is asking her okay now up next is Sonia to talk about the operations right. of, I just made up a name, so there is no Sonia, so you guys know. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's laughs> confidential <laughs> to speak about what's, a, what's going on, and she didn't know how to take it from there mm-hmm. to start off. On a positive, on a high note. Yeah. Instead of fumbling and like just thinking like, oh my gosh, so in yeah. her head. So just having that ready to go. Right. Just it's having not some scripted, of those phrases, but having some preparation. Some preparation of like, and phrases ready to go. That yeah. makes sense. I, I truly believe that the preparation and intentionality mm-hmm. leads to confidence. Okay. So if you can think ahead of time, okay, what is the board meeting going to be like? Or what mm. is that networking event going to be like? What is my mm. presentation in front of this audience of... Right. 100 people, 500 people mm-hmm. going to be like, you visualize that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you think of what questions they could ask you, maybe at a networking event. Right. Like, oh, what do you do for a living? You prepare that ahead yep. of time. You think about it. You're going to walk into those those scenarios with so much more confidence mm-hmm. and credibility as you are sharing your message. Right. So working on the mindset working on that foundation and then the the tactical of like the frameworks of giving a presentation mm-hmm. that helped her make that transformation yeah. to where she is now ready to present to the board to give value. Next CEO? (laughs) Hopefully, possibly, yeah. When that opportunity arises.
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of those like barriers to confidence that I'm even hearing now, it's not vulnerability. Like I think sometimes is challenge, but it's uncertainty. Yeah. And just going into these spaces, like you're saying, without feeling like you're prepared for it, then it's like, ah. Like, what do I do? Uncertainty. And what you were saying earlier about comparison, because I've definitely felt that. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm confident about this. And then you get in your head, like, right before yesterday I did it. I had a presentation yesterday, two-hour presentation. And I feel like the second half, you know, was phenomenal because mm-hmm. I got in my flow but when I started I was so nervous because it was my first time doing a presentation after having the baby so I like had this gap yeah. for a while and I like lost some of my confidence and I started thinking about okay well how would this person do it and how would this person do it and I've been watching all these videos and training while pregnant and while having the baby and then it's like well, how did I do it? Like, what was my natural way? And like, after the first 15 to 20 minutes, I started just being like, okay, you have to be yourself, Lorraine. Like you have to go into this as you. Uh, and I I, felt so much stronger from that point, but it was hard to shake off the nerves at
0: first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And believe me, I, I get there too. (laughs) I am still, I do get nervous still before presentations. And even before like an interview like this, mm-hmm. I've learned how to channel those nerves into more excitement. You can kind of switch right. switch, switch gears, gears, shift that mindset to be like, okay, I feel all the symptoms coming on those butterflies, yeah. the maybe I feel hot or I feel the, the for me, it's like the pounding, the mm-hmm. racing heartbeat, but it's like, okay, those are the same symptoms I feel when I'm excited. I like that reframing. <laughs> yeah. And my my good friend who is the reporter with me in Midland, Texas, um, likes to quote his niece who coined the term nervous sighted. Nervous sighted. Nervous sighted. Like she was All for her things. first day of school. <laughs> nervous sighted. <laughs> so we can be both. Yeah. And that's okay. But I do get nervous too and I think the comparisonitis Oh, yeah. Where you're what I do a lot too is I'm listening to the podcasts. I have this coach and I'm this, that coach and all these different programs that I'm tapping into for my personal and professional development. Yes. But then you kind of lose yourself when you're constantly taking in all this information, all these voices and all this advice. Right. And just lately I'm like, okay, I need to just shut that off Mm -hmm. and just keep my head down and focus on my work yeah and what is within me like quiet all the other voices and that's something I've had to really learn to and still learning it's like I've always been someone who seeks advice from others and that was probably my upbringing because my my (laughs) mom would always give us advice and like wear your jacket it's cold or do this or you should do this shouldn't do that yeah and obviously she had really great intentions Mm -hmm. to take care of us um, but at the same time, it's like, I've lost, I've realized I've lost some of that, mm. that gut instinct, like what's right, right for me. There. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm really conscious about that now raising yeah. my son.
1: I'm glad you're saying that too. I, it does change when you're a parent. I feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> instantly it's like, oh, like, wait, I got some, some things that I want to do, even though I might've been told something else. Cause it, there's something about having a kid. You just like pull into that intuition so much deeper. Yes. But I, I like what you're saying here too, because it's making me think about the, how important the why is that you're talking about when we're bombarded by external information, Mm -hmm. whether we're seeking it or just being told (laughs) either way.
0: Social media scrolling, right?
1: Yes. Yes. And I, I, I love, love, love all the self-help books, podcasts, personal development books, all the things. Mm -hmm. And I think if we just have that practice of, hey, I just learned this thing. Maybe it's a podcast example. I just listened to this podcast. I love that they said this, this, and this. How does that apply to my existing why? And maybe just taking it back every time because I know I don't have that practice. I'm like thinking of all these things and then two weeks later, I'm like, okay, return to my why. The why is always motivating us. It's always in there somewhere. But when we don't
0: have that regular practice of reflecting on it, then I think the external voices get louder. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. So if it's a matter of, yeah, like putting our why either on a sticky note on your <laughs> laptop yep. or a big poster on your vision board, right. that and your brand superpowers just to like remind you, yep. like to center you. Exactly. I think I need to put it on the wall Me in front too. of my toilet because that's where I sit the most. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Although
1: probably facts. It's the one time you get to really take a break, right? <laughs> I can't be the only one.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yes, it is like the only time when you have maybe tempting yourself. Right. Even then, even then the, the dog and the debatable. kid are always
1: bursting. In. <laughs> toilet thought, Toilet talk. Yeah. Okay. Toilet thought. <laughs> cool. So <laughs> as I'm bringing it back, cause that was definitely a tangent. Um, there's really just a couple questions I want to like finish up with. And, it relates to what you're already talking about in this transformation. So I'm curious, the transformation you've seen in your career, both for yourself and helping others build that confidence and speak with vision. What does that look like in effect to your personal life?
0: As an entrepreneur, yes, there's been a huge transformation because there's so much of the mindset work and I'm realizing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm realizing for myself through my own coaches, And then through coaching my clients, it's establishing the mindset first and building Mm -hmm. that resilience that it's okay to fail. We're going to fail. We're going to mess up. We're going to get rejection. Yeah. And then using that as data, using Mm -hmm. that as an experience to build from there. Yeah. And I have recently... I, I was doing great, and when am going to be really vulnerable here, you know, as an entrepreneur, and this, this season and this experience I've been through, where I was like on a roll, so much momentum, like business was taking off, and getting all these yeses, yeses to clients, yeses to speaking opportunities, and then I had a season where it was no's, it was like, okay, send out a proposal. No, not right now. Or, you know, whatever reason mm-hmm. it might be. The investment in themselves. And my initial reaction was, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. What could I have done differently? I put it on myself. Yes. Because we are all our own worst I critics, right? The same right? thing, yep. And having talked to my husband and then... My coach and other like trusted confidants who are also entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. they're like, it's probably not you. It's where they are. Mm. It's the it's whatever, the economy. But yeah. the lesson is, main lesson is, I had to let go of control. Mm. Because what can I control? It's that's where I my mind went. Mm-hmm. What could I do differently? Is it my pricing is it my proposal what could I have done differently that's what I can control yep. but in the end I cannot control other people's decisions yeah and so hard. it's so hard <laughs> and it's like they have their reasons and I gotta let go mm-hmm. I've gotta let go of that so whether in business in parenting mm. I did not realize how much of a control freak I was until I became a parent <laughs> I wanted to control when he went to sleep, how much he ate, what he eats, and whether he wears his jacket. And yep. <laughs> I'm like, no. You know, it's just like so – it makes things so much harder when you just like mm, try to control things. Mm-hmm. And you can ask my husband, like when he was a baby. I don't know how particular you are on his sleep schedule. I but I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like we got to get home now we got to get home. It's nap time. He's got to go to sleep with us. Otherwise, he's not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. I was the same. Thanksgiving. We just had Thanksgiving. And it was like, he was like on that time of like, okay, if he feeds now, then he'll fall asleep right before we get to family's house. Mm-hmm. And then he'll be able to sleep through most of that time in family's house, wake up by the end. We get there. They take him out of his car seat immediately. And I'm like, no, no. he has sleep time and he's not going to sleep. <laughs> and Anthony is, you know, telling me like. We're with family. It's a holiday. He was going to wake up anyway. Like, there was, like, you just got to go with it. And I was like, no, no, no. I had to, like, go in the room and just be like, okay, let it go, let it go. But it was hard. It was hard for me to let it go. And then it was fine. Like, he was awake, but relaxed, like, the whole entire night during Thanksgiving. And then we went home, and he passed out, and he was fine. We did have to do a little of adjusting in the schedule the next day. But it was like, okay, the adjustments weren't hard. He's Mm -hmm. a baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He adjusts. I know. But in that moment. Absolutely. I, know. I, I agree. I was like, no, it's not going to work.
0: <laughs> Entrepreneurship and parenthood so bring out all the challenges to the forefront. <laughs> yes, it's so <laughs> all true. All the things that we need to work on. Yep. And this is my, yeah, wanting to control. Yeah. And the perfectionism, like the perfect yes. schedule or, yeah, the perfect plan for my mm-hmm. my year or whatever it is. And so... <laughs> I am learning, (laughs) learning to let go of that and (laughs) to focus on what I can control, Mm -hmm. which is putting myself out there, which is planning out my next offers and launches Mm -hmm. for my son, which is providing him the healthy foods and the fun activities and... Now that he's a little older it is easier. Mhm. Which you will see or you see through your older. Try it. Then too. Yeah. <laughs> uh but yes, that is that is <laughs> what I'm in the midst yeah. of yep. and what I have to remind myself all the time. Yeah. So I now forget your original question, but I hope that no, answered. That it. was
1: that was on it. Thank you for sharing too. I appreciate I appreciate the vulnerability because when we share our stories, it really does help us to connect. Because as you're sharing, I'm like, yes, okay, it's not just me. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody listening thinking the same thing. Like, okay, affirmed. You're not affirmed, alone. You are not alone. <laughs> In most experiences, mm-hmm. you are not alone. Mm-hmm. So that kind of brings me to my last question because I think it segues well when we're thinking about our kids, our families, and just the work we're doing as we vision. Forward, like what do you want your legacy to be?
0: Mm, wow. I, in more than one way, like I shared with my why mm-hmm. in everything I do, I believe in making an impact and empowering others through storytelling and positive messages. Mm-hmm. And So whether it is in my business, empowering entrepreneurs or leaders, business leaders to focus in on their why Mm -hmm. and to be able to craft their stories and their messages in a way that inspires others, or even with my son in parenting, inspiring him to be a good kid and then eventually a good adult or through positive messaging, like... Encouraging, encouraging him to eat his vegetables or <laughs> every day, whatever it is, or <laughs> teaching him enc- in encouraging ways of how to blow his nose. <laughs> <laughs> so it, everyday things are in a bigger picture. Yeah. Yep. I hope to leave a, a legacy of showing, showing you that you can go... You you'd shoot for those dreams and goals, however trite that sounds. Mm-hmm. Like for me, as an ambitious person, I mentioned before, I would go after what I wanted mm-hmm. in a cheerleading team, student council, USC, my first, second, third reporting jobs. And I would be, I would get it because I would work really hard and I'd, mm-hmm. I would go for it, call up whoever I needed to. But then there's those times when you can go after what you set your mind on and you still might not Mm -hmm. get it, at least not right now. Mm -hmm. And that's what I dealt with in conceiving too. And that's a whole nother story. But for those of you who might be faced with infertility challenges, that's what I faced too. And that was another area of control that I had to let go and realize Mm. it's not up to me. Yeah, It's in God's hands. And luckily we had the means and we have the science of yeah. IVF. And that's how we have our miracle of <laughs> Kellen today. And so through those lessons, it's knowing that, yes, go after those dreams, shoot for the stars, mm-hmm. be ambitious, do whatever you can, but you're going to have to, you're going to know and experience those setbacks sometimes Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to be okay with pivoting. Yep. And one quote I want you guys to walk away with that helped me through my infertility struggles and it helped me through my entrepreneurial challenges too, is a quote from Eckhart Tolle. Okay. Accept this moment as if you had chosen it. Mm. So when I was facing those, when I was going through IVF and The embryos didn't stick. They didn't work. Or those moments when I'm getting rejections from my proposals in my business. It's like, okay, accept this moment as if you had chosen it. So I am going through this right now because it's going to help me become a stronger person on the other side. So through the infertility, it was like, okay, I don't know what it is, but right now, Something better mm-hmm. is about to happen because I, I chose yeah. this moment of time to be with my husband, yeah, just us, or time to really reflect on what I would want with a family. Accept mm-hmm. this moment in my business as if I had chosen it. Okay, this is slow. It's a slow season. It's my time now to reflect upon how I can work on myself mm. as an entrepreneur and work on my next launch work on the business instead of in my business and Mm -hmm. being so busy with the client work like I was in other parts of the year. So that helps me, that really helps me through. So knowing that you should definitely go for those goals, but don't let that hang you up. And Mm -hmm. you're not, you're not an imposter. You're not a loser. You're not a failure. If it doesn't work for you right now in this moment, Mm -hmm. be Open to pivoting and accepting that it will happen for you the way you envision it, or maybe in another way that is for you. Right. Oof,
1: that's powerful. That's really powerful. I haven't heard that quote before. And I have an Eckhart Tolle book, but I haven't read it.
0: So oh, I have those books too. You know where I heard it from? Not from his book, but from an Oprah Super Soul Conversation. Oh, okay. Yep. I listen to those too. You know, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. That podcast, Super Soul Conversations. Yeah. And I needed yeah. it in that moment. I love that. It
1: really. We get those messages yeah. right when we need it, uh-huh. I think, sometimes. As long as we're open to it. Yes, Yes. I feel like I'm getting so much from today's conversation even from the start and I know we didn't go through your entire career journey and, and entire experiences of like obstacles along the way but the lessons that you shared with us of how you've pulled from different moments of your life and made meaning of them has been so impactful like I've thought about the confidence piece and key to confidence being vulnerability and preparation when you're going into some of those conversations when we're talking about that professional setting professional atmosphere i'm picking up on the family pieces and letting go of control which is so much harder than it sounds we even got to conversations about race and culture and what that looks like for our families now and our, our mixed kids I'm just, I'm really leaving this humbled in a lot of ways of ways that we can grow from this conversation, but also excited to see what's to come for you in 2024, for the people we work with, that we talk with. And hopefully there's some folks listening to this now that will be able to jump back in and tell us like, Hey, I listened to this advice and this
0: is what happened for me. So yeah, I'm so curious what your takeaways are. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, this was therapeutic. Yes. Yay! Yeah, <laughs> I I definitely needed this. I'm too. glad.
1: And first episode of the new year, Woo-hoo! so woo-woo! we did it. <laughs> thank you, Jessica. I will include thank you. Um, in our description places for folks to connect with you so that they can follow you. Uh, email and then what what's the best way to get connected about your programs? Is it Instagram website? Probably Instagram. Okay. Yeah,
0: at Jessica Chang Irish, and I also have weekly video tips too about speaking, whether okay. it's networking, public speaking, on camera speaking. So a lot of this was mindset work. But yes. if you want the Tactical stuff. Perfect. That's where you can find it.
1: Yay. I love it. Y'all, make sure you follow Jess and and just get in touch with all the great work that she's doing. You can learn so much from her, not just from this episode, but like you're saying, on the tactics as well, especially networking tips, because that's where I've been following your information a lot. Aww, so thank you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in to the Here to Uplift podcast. I hope you're finishing this episode feeling inspired and ready to take action. We want to keep the stories and inspiration coming, so please take a moment to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with a friend. We really appreciate it. Welcome to the Uplift community, friend. Please join us for another episode soon.